All right, well, good morning. Great to have you here. Uh, one last quick announcement. Uh, right after this service, um, about 10 minutes or so after, we're going to have a baptism uh, service as well. We're going to do it right in here. Uh, we have the tank over here set up and getting warm. So uh, if you're able to stick around and celebrate with us on that, that would be fantastic. Um, so, And if you're interested in being baptized and you're not currently signed up, talk to me immediately after service, and I've got an extra towel, and I would be more than willing uh, to do an extra baptism. So uh, this morning we are continuing on with our series called Living Out Love, and, and our attempt in this series is to discover how you and I can best love those that are around us. And, and really what we're trying to see is how can we make ourselves the best version of ourselves so that we can best love and have the most positive impact on those that we interact with daily. And, and to do this, we've been looking at the last statements that Jesus made just prior to his death on the cross. Actually, the statements that he made while on the cross as well. And, and, and last words, last statements are interesting. In fact, I, uh, I found this book and found some places online where you can find some of the more famous recorded last words. I'll give you a couple of examples of last words. There was a guy by the name of James Rogers. Uh, James Rogers was a, a criminal that was about to be executed by firing squad. And, and so they asked him just before they shot him, hey, any final requests? He asked for a bulletproof vest. General John Sedwick, he was a Union commander in the Civil War. He was killed on the battlefield. He was staring down the enemy, and the guys around him heard, Don't worry, gentlemen, the Confederates couldn't hit an elephant from this distance. <laughs> Last words. Last words of a gentleman by the name of James Donald French. James Donald French was a convicted murderer. Uh, he was one of the last individuals, or he was actually the last individual executed in uh, Oklahoma under the death penalty. As he walked into the death chamber, or the, getting ready to be executed on the electrical chair, the press was there witnessing, and he yelled out, he said, gentlemen, tomorrow's headline, French fries. <laughs> I, I didn't write them, I just reporting people. Last, sorry, was that too much? I just, I, anyway, last words, last words are important, and, and, and Jesus said some last words just before he died on the cross, and, and we're going to spend today looking at the last thing that he said, and then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to try and get really practical, try and really dig into what does it mean if we're going to be living out love? How does that really play out in our lives each and every day? But this morning, again, it's the last words that Jesus said. They were recorded by a gentleman by the name of Luke. Uh, they're in the, on the screen. They're in your message notes. This is what Luke recorded. It said, By this time it was noon. Jesus has been on the cross for quite a while. But darkness began to fall across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple was torn apart. This was a symbol that, that suddenly God was now more accessible than ever. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. When the captain of the Roman soldiers handling the execution saw what had happened, he praised God and said, Surely this man was innocent. Now there's another, trans, or another recording of the story where he actually says this man was innocent and he must be the son of God. Now here's what's amazing. This Roman centurion, he's not a believer. He's not a follower of Jesus. This guy is, is likely a very hardened soldier. This guy has crucified many, many people, and he looks at Jesus and he says, I don't know what it is, but I think this guy was innocent. S something was different in this moment. 
I mean, this, this Roman centurion, he's handled hundreds of crucifixions. I mean, if you were a Roman soldier, one of your duties would be to help pull off or handle these crucifixions. And he's a centurion, which means he oversees hundreds of individuals, and he's overseeing hundreds of crucifixions every day. The Roman Empire was doing—they were, they were crucifying like crazy. So this is, this is not an unusual moment. He's seen criminals crucified. He's seen political figures crucified. He's seen rebels crucified. He's seen all kinds of people crucified. But, but this crucifixion was unlike anything he'd ever seen. This individual that he just watched die, there was something different. He hears something. He watches something about who Jesus is. And in that moment, he reaches a conclusion that this guy was innocent. This guy must truly be the Son of God. He had heard that, people, that Jesus had made that claim, and suddenly he realized, yeah, yep, this was unique. And Jesus claims, he states, he said, I am entrusting my spirit into God's hands. And all of that goes into the soldier's mind, and at this moment he's like, this was different. This guy didn't deserve to be crucified. It was different than every other person. And truly, what it is that we see in that moment is that Jesus demonstrated that living out love requires trusting our life into God's hands. Dying on the cross was the most incredible act of living out love possible. But, but it wasn't the beginning for Jesus. Jesus has been living out love his entire life up until this moment. And what you and I need to recognize is that when we're living out love, it's risky to put others first. Letting other people's priorities become the focus and not just be our own needs being the focus, that's risky. Because when we're living out love, we can get hurt. When we're living out love, we can get left out. When we're living out love, we can get hungry because we're concerned about others. So if we're really going to be living out love, it requires us to trust God, to, to place our life in His hands, to, to be able to better continually live out love. We have to say, God, I'm going to trust you fully. I'm going to commit my life. I'm going to just say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm going to lean into you. And when we do that, th that gives us the greatest chance to be living out love. So I just want to give you a real quick list of some evidence that demonstrated that Jesus truly was trusting God with his life. A real quick list, and we'll go through this. first thing is this. Jesus, he was at peace that this was his time. Basically, Jesus is trusting God. He's like, listen, uh, God, your timing is perfect. This is my time. My life is now over. And Jesus was completely at peace with that. Also, what we see from Jesus, he wasn't afraid to die. Now, Jesus had a bit of an advantage. He knew that in three days he was going to come back to life, right? So like, you're like, well, so maybe, maybe it's not so impressive. But really, the reality of it is, if you and I are in relationship with Jesus, if we are connected to him, we have that exact same reality, that there is life after death and we don't have to be afraid to die. Also, amazingly, Jesus died with no unresolved relationships, Jesus made sure he had said, he had made sure he took care of, if you were here earlier in the message series, we talked about how he took care of his mom and how he took care of John while dying on the cross. And since you and I, we don't know when we're going to die, if we want to die with unresolved relationships, that means we have to consistently be in the process of resolving those relationships. And what that means is we have to be apologizing for our part 
that causes the break in relationship, and we have to be willing to forgive where we've been wronged in relationship. And here's what's amazing. Jesus wasn't liked by everybody, but Jesus truly did everything he could possibly do to make the relationships that he was in be everything they could possibly be. So he died with no unresolved relationships. Also, while Jesus was being beaten and tortured, he wasn't angry or bitter. You and I, we, we get bent out of shape when somebody cuts us off in traffic. We, we get bent out of shape and angry when the service at Denny's is slow. First off, if you're eating at Denny's, the service is going to be slow. Like, just, just know that, right? Like, don't go in with big expectations. It's going to be cheap. It's going to be slow. There you go, right? Jesus is ultimately just trusting God's plan. He's like, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get bitter. These guys are nailing me to the cross. I'm not going to hold it against them. It's just what it is. Also, what Jesus was able to cling to through all of this is that he knew where he was going. He knew that soon he would be in heaven. He recognized that the situation that he was currently in, as uncomfortable as it was, as horrible as it was, it wasn't his forever situation. And if in our lives, when we're living out love, even if it becomes a difficult situation, recognize we know where we're going. We know what's in the end. And then as a result of that, Jesus ultimately, he trusted God with his future. You and I work so hard to control everything in our lives. You and I work so hard to think we've got everything worked out. But, but the reality is, when we look at life, when we look at our own life, when we look at the lives around us, things can change so fast. Things can change outside of our control. Situations that we didn't think were going to happen or we didn't want to have happen or things that we had hoped would go in another direction without us trying to make it go in the other way, things can happen and suddenly we're in a whole new situation. And in that process, we can either trust that we're smart enough to figure it out, or from the beginning we can say, you know what, I'm going to trust my future and I'm going to place it in the hands of God. And ultimately, if we desire to be living out love, we have to begin to follow the cues that Jesus embraced and the, what Jesus lived out and begin to recognize how important it was for us to trust God with our future. So to do that, what I want to look at is I want to look at some characteristics that Jesus revealed for living out love at this level. Like, we can live out love for the people that we like, but if we want to live out love at the level that Jesus demonstrated by allowing himself to be crucified, there's some things, some characteristics that we need to take on to live it out at this level. And to do that, we need to start by going back to the 1980s. Okay, can we go back in time to the 1980s? I know for some of you that's scary and it's not that fun. But if you like Rubik's Cubes or parachute pants, you're like, yeah, this will be great. <laughs> right? And I know that there's some of you in the room, you're like, I have no memory of the 80s because you're, you're too stinking young. <laughs> and we don't care, okay? We just... <laughs> Okay, so 1980s. If you remember, if you go back to the 1980s, the big question on everybody's mind, who shot J.R.? Who shot, if you go back to the 1980s, if you can remember that, this was the question on everybody's mind. Even people that didn't watch the show got caught up in the question, who shot JR? Like, like now we kind of are used to the cliffhanger thing, but back then, the show Dallas pulled something off that nobody had really done before. In the third season, in the very last show of the season, the cliffhanger is the villain, JR, gets shot, and they don't solve it. 
They don't reveal who the shooter is. In fact, you go all the way to the next season. You got to go four shows into the next season, which means it's a whole eight months. I mean, now we have Netflix. The next season is already there, right? We're like, this was like, whoa, you got to wait. And CBS promoted the crud out of this thing. Like just constantly. And everybody wanted to know who shot JR. Who was responsible for that? And oftentimes we ask the same question about Jesus. We're like, well, who did it? Who was in charge? Who made sure that Jesus was crucified? Who was in charge of making sure that it happened? Whose plan was it to crucify Jesus? And the truth is, when it's living out love at the level that Jesus did, to the level of being crucified for us, living out that love at that level, it had to be voluntary. In fact, Jesus said, no one will take my life without me laying it down voluntarily. Jesus is like, I have the authority to lay down my life because I want to. Nobody, Nobody has the power to take it from me, and if I want, I have the power to just take it back. His death on the cross was not a tragedy. His death on the cross was a choice. He did it voluntarily. He wanted to. He was willing to die on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to die on the cross. We talked a couple weeks ago about why he had to do it, but ultimately it was a voluntary decision. Jesus was not a victim. He was completely in control of the entire situation. Nobody could make him do anything without his permission. And in the same way, nobody can make you and I live out love at this level. It has to be voluntary. You and I have to choose that we're willing to do it. I mean, as a parent, I can make my kids say please and thank you, right? I can make them. I've got ways. But they have to choose to actually be grateful and kind. I can't make that part of it. They have to choose it. As a boss, I can make the people that I lead help on a project. I can say, you have to do it. They, they get to choose if they're going to help willingly and joyfully. As a pastor, I've been telling you repeatedly, please don't stand directly in front of the doors in the lobby. Right? Like, don't block the entrance. It makes it difficult for people to get into the lobby. And you get to choose if you're voluntarily going to respond. And if you love Jesus, and you want me to pray for you, you won't stand there. It's voluntary, but there are consequences if you don't. But if you and I are truly going to be living out love, it has to be a choice. It's a voluntary decision to give of ourselves at that level, to make ourselves available, to recognize that it'll probably cost us to live out love the way that Jesus revealed. Also, if you and I are going to live out love, it requires great confidence. Jesus had great confidence. In fact, he shouts out these final words on the cross. And and it's not, he's he's not shouting it out in anger. He's not shouting it out in bitterness. He's not shouting it out because he's afraid or because he's in despair. He doesn't feel defeated. He's shouting it out in victory with confidence. He's convinced that, that this is a solid place to put his trust, to entrust his spirit into the hands of his heavenly father. And so he says it at the top of his voice. This is what I'm doing. He shouts it out in victory. So Jesus gave up his life voluntarily. He gave up his, uh, gave up his life confidently, living out love. And then the last idea that Jesus revealed that we're going to live out love is that it depends on complete trust in God. 
So Jesus says, I entrust my spirit. This is actually a quote out of the Old Testament. If you go back into Psalm 31, verse 5, he's quoting this. And, and not only is, a, is it a quote of this, it's, it's a phrase that every Jewish individual would have known by heart. In fact, this is, this is a bedtime prayer of every Jewish child. Like, like we oftentimes teach our kids the, the little prayer like, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That is literally taken out of this phrase that Jesus has just quoted. So without a doubt, Jesus' mother, Mary, would have taught him this prayer as a little boy. Jesus would have prayed this prayer as a little child, probably regularly before he went to bed each evening. Each Jewish child would know this. That at the end of the day, they would say, God, I am entrusting my life to you. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving you myself. I'm putting myself in your hands. I'm going to go to bed. I can't control anything. And now I just trust myself to you. And what Jesus was choosing to do, he was choosing to take his focus and place it on his father rather than placing it on his pain. And oftentimes what holds us back from living out love at the deepest level, level is fear. It's worry. It's concern about what it will cost us. It's concern about what we'll have to give up. So that's what requires this complete trust that God has our back. That if you and I respond fully out of love, as he leads us to it, if we'll walk where he calls us to, even if there's pain, even if there's cost in that decision, it's recognizing that, that God is completely trustable. He will walk us through that process. And if we're going to voluntarily live out love, if we're going to have that confidence that it makes sense, if we're going to completely trust God to live out love and recognize that he's going to be faithful, that when we place ourselves, when we place our lives in his hands, that he's going to make sure that everything is taken care of, I want to give you some reasons to understand why it's possible. So here's what I want to show you. I want to show you some truths that allow us to completely place ourselves into God's hands. Now, to be able to truly place ourselves in God's hands, we're going to go back in time again. Ready? This time we're not just going to the 80s. This time we're going to go a little bit further back to the 70s. And again, some of you are too young to remember, and still we don't care. But there was a television campaign, and, uh, if you remember, from Life Serial. Life Serial had this idea that they were going to roll out a really healthy cereal, and they were worried that people wouldn't necessarily buy into it. Take a look. Cereal, supposed to be good for you. Do you try it? I'm not gonna try it. You try it. I'm not gonna try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't eat it. He eats everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. When you bring life home, don't tell the kids it's one of those nutritional cereals you've been trying to get them to eat. You're the only one who has to know. You think it's because it's old. It's actually, that's just the quality of TV back then. I don't know if you remember that. Like, we're like, wow, TV's come along. Yes, yes, it's actually, that's how horrible it was, and we still watch. Um, these guys wanted to know, is it safe? Can we trust our taste buds with this cereal? Like, we want evidence. Before we eat this stuff that mom is rolling out, is it safe? If Mikey will eat it, Mikey doesn't like anything, but if Mikey likes it, then it must be safe to eat. And we want evidence. You and I, we want evidence. Does it make sense? 
Is it completely logical to place our life in God's hands? Will it work out? Jesus was the evidence. Jesus was demonstrating. He was showing that, listen, it will be okay. It's a good option. In fact, he's saying the greatest way to live, even when it costs you everything, is to fully place yourself into the hands of God. And so there's some truths out of that statement, out of what Jesus just said, that will allow us to completely place ourselves into God's hands. And the first truth is this, is that there is a Father in heaven that loves us. The first thing that you and I need to remember, if we're going to be living out love, comes as Jesus' first statement as he begins this while he's on the cross. He says, Father. Now, if you remember the way that Jesus taught us to pray, Jesus said, Our Father, who is in heaven. And when Jesus said, This is how you pray, by saying, Our Father, he, he blew everybody's mind when he said that. Because up until this point, every faith and every religion and every, every, every idea about God taught that God was this, this big distant being. That he was this big, powerful, cosmic, mighty being. Sometimes he might be merciful. Sometimes he might be kind. But, but ultimately, you, do, you don't call him Father. And Jesus just changed it all. He, he blew up the whole concept. He's like, listen, when, when you talk to God, you can approach him as Daddy. In the Aramaic, he used the word Abba. Abba literally means Daddy. It means Papa. And the problem is, for those of us on earth, oftentimes, many, of, many people didn't have a dad that was all that good of, a, of an example. Sometimes when we hear that God wants to be our father, if, if you went through life and, you, and your father was distant, or your father was demeaning, or your father was destructive, or maybe your father was detached, whatever it would be, sometimes it's hard to recognize that having God be our father is a good thing. But throughout the Bible, and the longer that you and I live responding to God as our Father, we discover God to be caring. And we discover God, our Father, to be consistent, to be close, to, be, to want to have an intimate relationship with us. That we have a Father that is capable, a Father that ultimately loves us more than we can ever possibly imagine. Go back to Psalms 103. It says this. In Psalms 103, it says, As a father has compassion on his children... So the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. We have a father, a heavenly father that desires to be close. We have a heavenly father that desires to care for us. He's competent. He's capable. He's consistent. We can count on him to be the same every single day. God, our father, wants to be right there with us. As you and I commit to and as you and I decide, you know what? I'm going to learn to live out love. God's like, I will encourage you in that process. I will strengthen you in that process. When you feel like, I don't think I can love in this way, God's like, let me show you how and let me give you the strength to make it. And then in the process of living out love, when we fail, God's like, let me just pick you back up. Let me just, let me just prop you back up so you can keep trying because I know you can get this. And God knows everything that's going on in your life. And God sees everything that you care about in life. And God has the power to manage and help you through everything that you're going on or going through in life. And if we trust him, he wants to come alongside of us and move us through that process. 
But God doesn't just love us. There's a second reason that we need him. And then the second thing that we need to remember about who he is if we're going to fully trust him. Because not only is God our Father in heaven, but also Jesus trusted God the Father with his spirit. He trusted. One of the most critical decisions that you and I can make in our life, with our life, with our spirit, is decide who we're going to trust. Let me just throw out some options, and you vote. Okay? Let's vote on if these are good options to trust. We can, we can trust in Congress or the government. Okay? Just throw up your hands if I say a good idea of what you should trust. Congress, government. Okay? Uh, news. The news. You pick. You pick whatever channel you want. You could be a Fox or a CNN or a Cairo or a King or a Kong. I don't care. Uh, news. Okay? Popular opinion. Just watch Twitter for a little bit. What is everybody saying? Hang your hat there. No takers. How about, how about maybe trust your own emotions? You know what? One of the simplest things you can do in life to help yourself be a lot happier is realize you don't need to believe everything your mind tells you. Most of the time, our mind tells us things are worse off than, they're real, than they really are. And then a lot of times our mind tells us things are a lot better than they really are. So don't trust your emotions. Now this next one's going to be difficult. Maybe just trust your mom. I know that you guys think that's difficult. My mom's sitting right back there. <laughs> so I'm just going to look at this side of the room for a second. A anybody? I mean, moms are great, right? But like, if that's where we're putting all of our trust. God is the safest place for you and I to fully trust. And when we're fully trusting in him, it frees us up to live out love. This idea of trust or entrusting, it's basically like the idea of a safety deposit box. Right? You go down to the bank and, and you rent the box and they bring it out and you put your most valuable stuff in that box and then you close it up and they put it into the vault and they lock it up and you've got a key and they've got a key and it's all locked up in that box and it's safe and secure. Nobody's going to get to it. It's been deposited in that box. And now you get to go live without worry about that thing getting taken or that thing getting ruined because now it's safe and secure. And God's like, listen, you can trust me like that. You can take your life. You can take everything that's good. You can take everything that's bad. You can take all of the ugly. You can take all of the beautiful. You can take everything that you care about and trust me with it. Just like taking it to the safety deposit box and giving everything that you value, placing it in his hands, and then living out love. Because God, our Father, is keeping everything safe. Go back to the book of Psalms, or to the Psalms. It says this, For the word of the Lord holds true, and everything he does is worthy of our trust. Again, we can't say that about anybody else. Like, as your pastor, we shouldn't say that even, you can't say that about me. I mean, I'm going to do everything I can. I, I, I love you. I'm going to do all. But, but I'm a fallible human. You can't trust any human being at this level to always do the right thing. But you and I can always trust God. He will always be consistent in everything. And if you're unsure of what to trust God with, just start with the things that you worry about. You worried about your health? 
Entrust it to your heavenly Father. Are you worried about your future? Then you need to entrust it to your heavenly Father. Are you are you worried about your marriage? Are you worried about getting married? Are you worried about having a baby? Are you worried about raising that baby now that you got it? Is it a new job? What, whatever it is, whatever is worrying you, trust God with it. Anything that we worry about, we can basically say, God, I'm going to put this in that safety deposit box. I'm going to trust you. I value this. I'm going to trust that you're going to walk me through this so that I don't have to be afraid, that I don't have to be worried, that I don't have to be concerned. God, I know you'll go with me through this. I won't have to go on through it on my own. I'm going to trust God that you can handle it. And Jesus trusted his Father with his spirit, with his life, and as a result, he was able to live out love. And one of the incredible reasons that Jesus was able to trust God in this way is that God handles the issues we can't even see. You and I, we can only see the physical things in life. We can only see the material things in life. But we know that there's a lot of things in life we can't see. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. We are limited by what our physical eyes are able to see. I mean, right now in this building, there are radio waves passing through this building. Passing through our bodies. We can't even see them. But if we brought a radio in, you guys remember what those are? Brought a radio in, and, and we tuned it in to the right station, we would hear music or news or some clever talk radio host or whatever, right? There's all kinds of radio waves through the air. We can't see them. But just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not true. doesn't mean they're false. A guy by the name of Job wrote thousands of years ago regarding how God works this way. He says, when he, God, is at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. He's like, I, I, I can't see God. I'm going to just trust him, and then God's going to lead me through this. And we don't always know God's ways. We don't always see what God is up to and what God's doing. And there are things that we just don't always understand about what God is doing. But the easiest choice when we don't understand, oftentimes what we do is we're like, well, I just give up. I don't understand what God's doing, so I think I'll just doubt that he cares. We like stop trying. And Job is saying, listen, no, 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 we, we just, we don't know everything God is doing. But we do always know is that we do always know that God has called us to continually be living out love. So we have a choice. When we don't understand what God is doing, and we don't understand the way life is going, and we, we, we can choose to either sit and wait, and worry, and wonder, and doubt, and feel sorry for it. We can have all these things that we do when we don't understand God. Or we can just decide, I don't get it, but I'll just live out love. That's the consistent thing I can do. Even if I don't get it, I can live out love. I can find somebody else to care for. I can take somebody out for a meal, buy a buddy a, a hamburger, take care of them. I can help a neighbor with a project. I can find a way to actively get involved in church. I can, I can go to a nearby school and help volunteer for at that school, even if my kids don't go there. Shock them. They'll be like, what? Yeah, I just want to help. Decide that you'll trust God to handle all of the issues that you can't see, and in response, love all of those that you do see. And in the process of living out love, we will begin to realize that God will lead us exactly where we need to go. And ultimately, what we'll discover is that God can deal with anything we trust in His hands. 
anything that we place in his hands. An early church leader wrote about it and described it this way in his own life. He said, I think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the hard time we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we, powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. They had to be crushed. They had to be overwhelmed. They had to think they were dying. They were doomed. They were powerless. And then they're like, oh, we should just put everything in God's hands now. And oftentimes in our life, that's what it takes. It takes us getting to a situation where, where we're so concerned and the situation seems out of our hands and it seems like we can't control it and that's when we become willing to trust God and that's when we begin to place our concerns in His hands. And maybe not all of life is falling apart. Maybe not everything is on the verge of destruction and death. But oftentimes in situations, we think we can solve them until it's like, clearly, this is doomed. So that, that toddler that doesn't seem to want to obey and go to bed, you can trust that and put it in God's hands at the beginning. Or you can just, like, lose lots and lots of nights of sleep and become delirious that you can't remember what it feels like to be rested, and then you can place it in God's hands. Or, or maybe it's your spouse that seems distracted with work or hobbies or projects or whatever it is. They seem more interested in all of that than your relationship. You, you can trust God immediately with that. Or you can wait till it looks like it's all over and there's no way to possibly solve it. And then you're like, okay, uh, God, help. I mean, you could do it both ways. Maybe, maybe it's your health and it's declining and you're thinking, uh, we're just going to lean into the doctors and they're going to figure it out. Or, or you can say, I'm, I'm going to have to just trust God. Or you can keep trying to solve it on your own and find your own cures and depend on medicine and all that's good. But you can either wait till it's all looking like it's doomed and hopeless, and then trust God, or you can begin to trust God early in the process. And what we have to understand is that trusting God doesn't mean that everything suddenly gets better. Trusting God doesn't mean that suddenly people all start automatically treating you differently. Trusting God doesn't mean your bank account suddenly starts to climb unexpectedly. <gasps> Why is it getting better? No. It doesn't mean that choices that we've made in the past or consequences don't exist, that it doesn't impact our health or our relationships. Like, if we made choices, those carry over. Trusting God ultimately means that we're relying on God to either change the situation to a reality that we can live with or trusting God that he will change our hearts and our attitudes to a reality that we can live within the situation. And if we're living out love, Jesus demonstrated that it requires a complete trust of our lives putting it in the hands of God. Trusting those things that we care about most, those things that we worry about most, those things that we think about most, giving those to God and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this. And as a result, I'm going to be able to respond and follow what Jesus demonstrated on the cross when he completely trusted his Father, when he completely trusted God, saying, I'm going to fully live out love. I'm going to fully allow you to guide me to live out love. Jesus also gave us a great way to remember what he did to recall what he did on the cross, to celebrate, to, to be challenged to live out love based on what he did. Jesus instructed us. He said, I want you to take some bread. I want you to take this bread, and I want you to eat it, and I want you to remember that I gave up my body so that you could have life. 
He also instructed, he said, I want you to take some drink and I want you to drink that and I want, to re- I want you to remember my blood that was shed so that you could be forgiven for the sin in your life. So that ultimately you could be in relationship with me. And at Silver Creek, when we take communion, was what Jesus just instructed us to do. We invite everybody to receive communion. You don't have to be a member here. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to take any special class. Our only requirement is that you believe that you understand that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified for you. If, you. if you recognize and you receive the gift that Jesus made this available to you, then we invite you to receive communion. And the way that we do it, we have three different stations, two up front and then one in the back. Each station is gluten-free, so you just go whichever, whichever one is most convenient for you. When you get to the front of the line, you just take the cracker and dip it in the juice and then eat. And celebrate and remember what an incredible gift it was that Jesus offered by allowing himself to die on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning as we receive communion, would you help, it, help us to recognize the value to fully trust, to place our hands in our Heavenly Father, to place our lives in the hands of our Heavenly Father, to recognize this incredible demonstration that you gave to us to see the value in that and ultimately out of this then to begin to live out love each and every day. Anticipating and trusting that you will care about everything that's happening in our lives and we can fully just embrace your challenge to live out love. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome to come to any of the three